Hello, I'm Wayne Park, and welcome to Oikonomics, a podcast about the science of ministry, work, administration, and the summing up of everything. Keep coming back for relevant teachings and talks on these subjects and more. Please enjoy the show. Welcome back to Oikonomics, a podcast about faith and work and the summing up of everything. And that comes right out of Ephesians 1 verse 10, where we've been talking about this vision of recapitulation and how Christ as the new Adam is reconciling disparate elements. And that's the heavens and the earth, things spiritual and material, as well as work. And these disparate notions that we often have of work as either sacred or secular. And with this new understanding, we can approach work differently and understand all work with the right motive can indeed be spiritual. So for these next two episodes, um, actually these next several episodes, we are going to take it a little bit of a slightly different angle. We're still talking about faith and work, but now we're going to talk about entrepreneurial work. Mind you, entrepreneurial work can apply to, uh, it can apply to secular, quote-unquote, work, but it can also apply to ministry vocation as well. So in some ways, reflections on entrepreneurial vocation, um, it covers both secular as well as sacred work. And to assist us in this, we will be reading, uh, my SF students will be reading a book called Make Work Matter by Michaela O'Donnell. And uh, a few words about Michaela O'Donnell. She is a close friend and colleague of mine. Actually, she's a former boss, and I would add a really good one, at the Dupree Center where I was formerly program director of something called The Road Ahead. Now, The Road Ahead, if I could just tell you a little bit about it, it's a six-session cohort that was designed to spark entrepreneurial imagination. And so it's right up our alley as we talk about entrepreneurial vocation today. And this this six-session cohort, Road Ahead, it it still runs. In fact, it runs right out of our Houston campus. So you're going to have to reach out to me if you're interested. I'm going to several times throughout the throughout the next few episodes, I'll probably be talking about Road Ahead. Um, And you're just going to have to reach out to me if you're interested in joining a cohort. Now, the book that you are reading, my SF students, you're reading this book, Make Work Matter. It actually came out of Dr. O'Donnell's PhD research on entrepreneurialism. She did research on what catalyzes entrepreneurial thinking. She herself is an entrepreneur and wanted to Uh, find out the theological as well as the psychological underpinnings of what makes an entrepreneur. And that is what not only led to her book, Make Work Matter, but in many ways it became the Road Ahead cohort, the Road Ahead program that I was previously talking about. So in in many ways, whether we're talking about Road Ahead or Make Work Matter, I not only know the material, I've personally facilitated it as a program director for this content. I was a facilitator of of Road Ahead, which really came out of uh, Dr. O'Donnell's O'Donnell's PhD research. And so in many respects, it's something that I know inside and out. But at the same time, 
I want to respect the book as well as the cohort. I don't want to give away all the goods right here in the podcast. You're just going to have to read the book or sign up for the cohort. So what I'm going to do instead is teach my own gleanings from Michaela's thought, you know, rather than give everything away here. And as I teach my own gleanings from Michaela's thought or interacting with Michaela's thought, hopefully it will entice you to either pick up the book or even join the road ahead. Once again, we offer the Road Ahead cohorts right out of the Houston campus. And if you'd like to learn more about that, you'll find a link to that in the liner notes. So, Road Ahead and Make Work Matter essentially talk about um, several key principles on the journey towards entrepreneurial vocation. Um, It involves things like knowing your own story, examining your own longings and desires. It involves coming to terms with our stuckness. It also facilitates a process of imagination and risk-taking. Yes, it's not just a cohort where you sit down and learn something new. It's, it, it, in many ways, it's, it's not a teaching resource. It's not intentioned to give you some new information. It's designed to be a facilitated space for you to do the work that you need to do, um, especially if you find yourself stuck and at a crossroads needing new direction in life. Um, Road Ahead, I think, is an excellent tool and resource to help help you along the way uh, in a facilitated manner. So today, what I'd like to do is really camp out on this idea of stuckness. Because prior to every great entrepreneur, I would say there comes a moment where they realize that uh, the old paradigm does not work. Uh, there's, um, there's a famous uh, book by a philosopher and I think a, a sociologist as well, perhaps uh, a student of science, Thomas Kuhn. Some of you may be familiar with his book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. And Kuhn would talk about, I believe he was the first to talk about paradigms as these things that would eventually, eventually hit a wall or eventually get stuck and the, required, uh, the requirement for a new paradigm to be birthed. And, and he talks about the structure of how these, these paradigms would lead to scientific revolutions. And in many ways, I think that mirrors the entrepreneur's journey, as well as many things in life. We hit a period of stuckness, and then we either uh, regress to, to old behaviors, or we find a way through the wall. We find a way past the stuckness. And so today I'm going to talk a little bit more. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this experience of stuckness. And as a guide, I'm going to use something called the critical journey stages. The critical journey stages. Um, You will find more details about this as well in your liner notes. But before I go any further, I'm going to say this. In order to understand what I'm talking about today, as I talk about the critical journey stages, you will actually need to, there's a visual aid that you will need to refer to. You won't understand what I'm talking about unless you're able to view this alongside. So I will give you a second here. If you need to pause this podcast or pull over or sit down, or plan to come back and listen when you're actually able to see the graphics 
Otherwise, it will not be it will not be possible to fully follow along with what I'm teaching. You need the visual aid. So a little quick background on the critical journey stages. This came about, uh, this graphic that you're looking at, it came about in discussions between author Janet Hagberg and then Fuller Professor of New Testament, the late Robert Gulick. And the two of them came up with this um, these stages and the book, this, the, the subsequent book, The Critical Journey Stages, as a way to understand the spiritual journey, in particular, the phenomenon of being stuck, or as they put it, hitting the wall. And that, I think, is that's exactly why we're talking about this. It's very apropos for the experience of entrepreneurial vocation or becoming an entrepreneur. And so now that hopefully you're well positioned to both listen as well as to look, I'm going to direct your attention to the four figures that you should see by now, four figures. And I'm going to walk you through them all one by one. What you'll see in figure one are the overall stages of faith, stages one all the way around to six. We all enter in at stage one into this critical journey or this spiritual journey, and that stage one is recognition of God. This is your conversion experience. It's your life-changing moment. It's your, it's your come-to-Jesus uh, episode. It's when we realize that there is a higher power. This is the recognition of God, stage one. Now, oftentimes, what happens in most human experience is upon the entrance of stage one, when we have discovered God, we enter into a, a stage of discipleship, and that is stage two, the life of discipleship, where with this newfound encounter with God, we want to learn everything. We become voracious, hungry. We read scripture. We read spiritual devotionals or books. We commit ourselves to following um, a pastor or a discipler or some spiritual authority figure. We become involved with the community of faith. And in this life of discipleship, we enter into a great deal of learning, discipleship, and growth. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. From there, oftentimes what happens as we become more and more established in the faith, we become noticed. People begin to recognize that we are faithful perhaps even useful, and so we become applied into service. We become implemented into various aspects of, of, of the functioning of the religious organization, whether it's in leading small groups or serving on the worship team or helping out with a committee or leading in some aspect or another or serving in some aspect or another. And that leads us into stage three, which is the productive life. This becomes the height of our service in the church where you are active. This, is, this stage three is the active life. It's the, it's the productive life where uh, much of the discipleship that you have learned in stage two gets applied uh, at least at a surface level in serving the church. Once again, it's, a, it's, it's good. There's nothing uh, necessarily bad with this. All of us need to be involved in serving in one aspect or another. 
Thereafter, however, for most people who go through the spiritual journey, we begin to experience warning signs. And the warning signs can be some kind of um, some kind of early disillusionment with any of the previous stages. Perhaps if it's in stage three, we find that we were doing so much that we were beginning to burn out. Um, there might there might be relational failure that we're beginning to see. After all, churches are comprised of human beings, and so there's no perfect church or religious community. So it's very likely that there's some disillusionment there, perhaps disillusionment with leaders. Sometimes there's moral failure, either observed on the part of others or even within yourself. And then you begin to experience a crisis um, of, uh, of faith, of questioning, and that begins to turn you inward at stage four. And this is the journey inward, where we begin to ask hard questions, um, where we're beginning to go deeper. And that this is a good thing because we can't just be about serving and learning more. Uh, we have to also get deeper. And many people will, from stage three, move into the deeper life. But thereafter, it is... It is possible, quite possible, in fact, I would argue for everyone who undergoes the spiritual journey, eventually we hit a wall somewhere after stage four, where even though we've gone deeper, we begin to hit a wall and recognize that the things that we did before, whether it was learning or doing or going deeper, even all of those things uh, are beginning to uh, hit a wall and we find ourselves stuck. Uh, like I said, Somewhere at stage four, we begin to recognize warning signs, the burnout, the relational or the moral failure, uh, perhaps finding that the more we read, it doesn't necessarily mean that we, we, we've known more or grown deeper. And the wall that we experience, um, it can take the form of either uh, an episode of, of depression or perhaps an experience of crisis or perhaps some kind of questioning of the church or the institution of religion. Uh, we live at a time, um, sociologists are calling it the nuns, where many spiritual or quote-unquote religious people will talk about having some kind of spiritual or religious foundation, and yet, and yet at the same time they don't identify with any institution. And so the wall is the place where much of this crisis, or some might even call it this dark night of the soul, begins to set in. And by virtue of being a wall, you, you can't, it's too high to climb around. It's too hard to punch through. And it's not something that you can just run around. It's a wall. It's there for a reason. And we get stuck at the wall. Now, I'll just pause here to talk about the entrepreneurial experience. Uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, many of them, um, oftentimes find themselves at a place of stuckness where they realize either we have to build something new or do something different or approach this completely differently. And it's that kind of thinking, that kind of shift in mentality this capacity to see it's not choice choice A or B, there's gotta be a third way, I think is the mark of an entrepreneur and, uh, and an entrepreneurial leader.
for that matter. But it involves getting around this wall. How do we get around this wall? That's kind of the big question. And it's not something that I have an easy answer for. I'm not setting you up to say, this is how you get around your wall. Actually, I can talk around the wall. I can talk about the experience, but I can't tell you because in many ways, this is God's doing, God's doings with human beings. This is God working with you. Um, only God can do the impossible. Only God can do the miraculous. And getting around a wall, again, like I said, you're not going to punch through it. You're not going to climb over it. You're not going to get around it. it. That's by virtue of it being a wall. It requires an act of God. I truly believe that. But there's more to talking about this than just talking about getting through the wall. Through the Tell me how to get through the wall in three easy steps. I can't do that. I can't do that. That's why it's a wall. What I can tell you is the human tendency. Now listen to this. This is important. What I can tell you about is the human tendency, once we reach our wall, to um, have a recursive, almost a repellent effect as far as the wall is concerned. And that takes you to figure two. So up till now, I've been talking you through the stages in figure one. I'd like for you now to look at figure two specifically. What you'll see in figure two is this repelling that happens this recursive effect where one hits a wall and in many ways human nature is to not want to stay there, not want to wrestle with the hard questions. I remember at one point um, when I was experiencing my own wall, writing in my journal very hard things. And after I wrote those things, I found myself tearing the page out and throwing it away. To this day, I don't know what I wrote, but I knew it was important. That's the thing. But I was too afraid to face what was written on the paper. And as a result, I, I got rid of it. I, to this day, you know, permanently, I, I discarded what was really important reflections at the wall. Now, since then, I've learned to not be afraid of the questions that arise at the wall to not even be afraid of the wall itself, but to recognize it as a natural part of spiritual growth. You see, uh, the reality is the critical journey stages are not a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It's something that we can go through more than once, and I know for me, I certainly did. And while the wall can be a frightening place at first, it need not be that. It, it need not be this place where we want to avoid or run away from, but it is something that we can recognize as a necessary part of growth. So let me talk more about this repellent effect that is taking place here in figure two. What's happening is if we are afraid of the wall, if we're afraid of confronting the reality that we are stuck, we enter into a kind of denial. And the denial has this effect of kicking us back or reverting us back to prior stages. So for example, if we hit a wall, we might say, I need to do more. I need to do more at stage three. I just need to serve. I need to be more active. Now the problem with that is much activity, it can become workaholism and it can mask even deeper problems underneath where we are 
doing in order to be recognized, or we're doing a lot of activity thinking that that will legitimate our spirituality. It, the work or service for the ministry cannot replace true spirituality. So there is this experience of, of reverting back to stage three, or there could be the experience of reverting back to stage two. I need to learn more. I need to understand more and, and read more books. And that can lead to a kind of dogmatism where instead of being willing to face that I need to grow more deeply, um, I need to go through this experience. And I've referred to it earlier in this course as an existential experience um, that could be replaced with if I just know more or understand more. Um, sometimes people who become religious after a history of abuse of substances or abusive behavior, when they get religious, there's some change, but at the same time, you see a lot more of this kind of dogmatism. Um, this is kind of an evidence of hitting the wall and then not really being able to go through it, but reverting back to this second stage of discipleship. I just, I, I know more, or I need to learn more, or I need to be smarter than everybody else. Or there's also another stage here, there's stage four, where some who will hit the wall and revert to stage four, which is this journey inward. And it becomes morbid introspection and it becomes isolation, which is not good either. And the isolation, even though we are trying to teach the spiritual vocation and the discipline of, of being still and coming before the Lord, and, and at the same time, we also emphasize community. And that this is something, these are spiritual practices that must grow in the context of community. And therefore, isolation is not a good thing either. So the reverting that we do, this tendency that we have, we go back to stage four or three or two, all because we're afraid of the wall before us. We don't want to confront the reality that what we've been doing before is not working. And again, as I've said, only God can get us through this dark night of the soul. And really, anyone who gets through these walls knows that they are miraculous experiences. So, again, this is not necessarily um, a lecture on how to get through the wall as much as it's um, an empirical observation of what happens to human beings as we go through these, these processes, this critical journey. Now, by God's grace, you get through the wall. We get past this. What happens is that we enter into stage five, which is this journey outward. We reemerge and we re-engage. We recognize that the isolation at stage four is not healthy. We recognize that the overdoing in stage three was burning us out. And then the life of discipleship in stage two didn't necessarily make us deeper or more spiritual, but we begin to re-emerge back into society, back into the community of faith at stage five. And that then blossoms into stage six, which is the life of love. The life of love is the place where we have learned to love our community in a deeper way than ever before. It has a qualitative difference than perhaps stage three, where we were active and highly doing for the church. 
and um, it is marked by a love that comes from spiritual depth, not just from activity or doing. It comes from a deep understanding of the spiritual journey, therefore a compassion for everyone who goes through a similar journey. It uh, comes from this emergence outward at stage five and this blossoming into a deeper love at stage six. So here, I would like you to turn your attention to figure three, where I'm going to talk about kind of some of the, the opposite dynamics that are present before and after the wall. So I'm talking about the stage six life of love, and you can see on figure three here, you can see that stage six, the life of love, it, it many ways is being as doing. And you can contrast that with the, the stage three productive life experience before the wall or prior to the wall, where our being is very much determined by our doing. That is to say, we do in order to be. We do a lot or we do things in the church in order to be recognized, in order to be seen as, as someone who is strong in the church or strong in the faith. Uh, doing comes appended with this, almost this psychological need to affirm uh, something within myself. And therefore, it becomes suspect. There's problems with this where we do in order to be, which is a rather backwards way to approach spirituality. We, we don't do in order to be. But conversely, at stage six, when we've passed the wall, we are not doing in order to be, but rather our being drives our doing. We serve not because we have some need to prove ourselves, but oftentimes this is where truly sacrificial service happens. Um, doing comes quite naturally from who you are, from your being, and oftentimes the deepest and most profound and actually most sacrificial work can happen here at stage six. And I'll share a little bit about this at the close of this talk. But there's also another dynamic, another cross or opposite dynamic. If you can look at figure four, at figure four, what you'll see is prior to the wall, uh, community is chosen at stage two where through your recognition of God and your life-changing encounter, you've found a place of belonging, which is great. That's wonderful. You want to be there. You want to be there. And that's what I mean by community chosen at the life of discipleship. This is the community I choose to be discipled in. But when you hit your wall or when you get past your wall, after the wall in stage five, you've already recognized the flaws of your community. You've come to terms with the reality that every community is flawed. Now, mind you, church hopping, looking for the perfect community, is a form of bouncing off that wall repeatedly again and again. So in many ways, um, when we've gotten through this wall and we've, re we've recognized that it's not about choosing a community as much as it is about community accepted, warts and all, that is when we emerge into this stage five maturity, this journey outward, 
where community, even though we know it's flawed, it's not one that we choose, it's one that we accept. And this happens after that crisis of the wall. So we have not chosen community in the first flush of enthusiasm anymore, but now, mature, experienced, you have, you have chosen to accept the community. This is truly the beginning of maturity. So this is the process and the journey of the critical journey of the critical journey stages, really, of going through this experience. Some of you may really resonate with, you, with this. Some of you may resonate with this more than once and in several different ways and several diff different aspects. Um, I have found that meditation on this tool is very helpful for me in recognizing particularly how I am stuck. And when I am stuck, what is my tendency? Am I tending to go back to dogmatism? Am I tending back towards more activity? Or am I tending towards morbid introspection? So for what it's worth, I find this understanding of the wall to be very helpful and important as really I aim to grow as an entrepreneurial leader. In many ways, my work, even as Chancellor of Fuller, Texas, requires fresh outside-of-the-box thinking. And outside-of-the-box thinking requires an ability to sit at the wall, ask the hard questions, not regress or revert, but allow God to transform me through it. And it does involve acceptance on the other side. It does involve love. Let me close with two stories of my own experiences of the critical journey stages. Um, the first story goes back to my own, um, my own beloved Korean-American community, um, which I certainly understand the, the strengths as well as the weaknesses of. And the Korean American church, and it's it's rather it's quite rather a, a universal experience. If you get together with, if you get two Korean American Christians together, sooner or later we're talking about um, some of our our wounds from from our heritage church. Unfortunately, um, for many of my people in the Christian community, for many of my people, our churches are very much stage three type of communities. A lot of productivity, a lot of activity, a lot of serving. Um, and for me, that left me so burnt out at one point in my life that I began to really ask hard questions of, what is the point of this? Uh, how is this really furthering the kingdom of God? How is this growing us as Christians? Um, I started to get the sensation that I was running a machine um, and I felt myself hitting that wall repeatedly and, and repeatedly bouncing back to stage three, to more product productivity. In fact, I, I remember a dear sister, and this goes back 25 years ago. Goodness, I remember a dear sister who was serving the Lord in the church, but she wore a perpetual frown. And I mean, this was at the ripe old age of like 19 or something. Um, I'm look at me, I'm joyfully serving the Lord. And, and I could sense that the service was masking a deep, deep brokenness. And it was manifesting for her in that way. And for me too, I was serving, hitting the wall, but serving even more. And in many ways, um, experiencing significant burnout and depression and things of that nature. 
that I really, really began to question what is true spirituality? Is this true spirituality? You know, having a full-time job and then going to church every night and doing all these things. Is this what service unto the Lord is? Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I certainly don't want to get into a complaint session here. That's not my intention. And, and for those who are listening to this from my beloved Korean-American community, hopefully you're not feeling critiqued as much as um, maybe just understanding. I think it's in the blood. It's in the culture. It's what makes strong churches. That's the truth. On the other side of this experience, it's, it's interesting. You try to start or lead churches uh, without that kind of work ethic, and it's just hard. Everybody's like, you know, I'm, I go to church. On average, uh, church, attendant, church attendance in, in North America is like, goodness, twice a month. Um, and the higher socioeconomic class you go, it's, it's even less than that. But the lower socioeconomic class you go, um, church attendance increases. So there is a connection there with the immigrant phenomenon, as well as the people of color experience. I do think that there's something to that. But nonetheless, um, for me, that was my wall experience, that I understand I'm talking about the journey outward and the community accepted. For me, actually, it, it meant a, a literal journey outward. I needed to leave. And um, that meant becoming part of a multi-ethnic community, a part of a cross part of a cross-cultural experience. And um, that was my experience through the wall. Now, mind you, um, I'm not one for serial leaving of churches. I think there's something problematic there. I think it might have to be done. It's necessary, perhaps once or twice in our lives, but I would advocate, if possible, if the vision is tenable, if the culture is not too toxic. You see, there are no perfect churches or institutions this side of the moon. I would advocate, if you are able to stay healthy in a community, stay. Stay long-term. And, and that's my own second story and experience. Um, my last pastoral call brought me to a place where I was serving in a context that was challenging in terms of emotions and systems and dynamics and cultures. Uh, there were so many difficult things going on. And yet, at the same time, the vision was so strong. And to this day, I believe the vision is strong. And that's why you would think when I received an opportunity to change careers and to leave full-time employment in that church context, you would think that that would have been my way out. I still choose that community. Not only because the vision is strong, and because it's, 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 it's reasonably healthy enough for me to continue there. But because for me, I know that my spiritual journey requires steadfastness. It requires community accepted at this stage five journey outward. Oh, I know the flaws of my community. I know the weaknesses. But at the same time, I know that I can continue to be reasonably healthy in a place that's reasonably healthy, so long as I continue to function in a way that's, that's, that's correct in this context, and so long as the system continues to uh, be a place of health. And even there, 
even if the system were to become unhealthy, I'm at a season of my in my life where I would hope to be part of the solution as opposed to just giving up on it. And in that regard, I think I'm entering into a stage six life of love that is sacrificial and that I don't think is going to burn me out. I don't think I'm going to burn out at stage six. It's different because it's coming from being as doing, not doing in order to validate my being. You see, I know who I am. I even know who I am within the community. That's probably one of the more profounder things I could say. I know who I am in the community and therefore I can give and continue to be part of a community, an imperfect community, and I can even give sacrificially. In your spiritual or vocational journey, have you hit a wall? After repeated attempts around it, are you finding yourself stuck? There is an entrepreneurial path forward. It involves knowing your worth. It involves imagination and it involves risk. More on that in the following episodes as we continue our reflections on entrepreneurial vocation. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to learn more, visit us online at www.oikonomics.com. That's O-I-K-O-N-O-M-I-K-S dot com.